to the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 22 is where we'll be in our study today. Joshua chapter 22. I remember getting my first truck when I was 16 years old, and I'm pretty sure at that moment I'm the ha- I was the happiest person the world had ever known. It had been my granddad's truck. He drove it, and the truck lived a long life. When he was done with it, he did what he did with all his old trucks. He parked it in the corner of a bean field there in southwest Colorado and left it there just to kind of pass the time away. My dad resurrected the truck. He dropped a new battery in it and did a little work. It fired up, and he got a, a, a muffler put on it before he headed out of town and brought it back to California where slowly it began to take shape. And by the time we were done with it, It became the type of truck that any of you would have been happy to drive. It was a good-looking truck. As the motor got to coming along, I worked and got enough money to buy the paint, to have it painted. A friend of mine painted it for free, and uh, it it was looking good. I lived in L.A. County, went to school in Orange County, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only student in Orange County that that, uh, had an F-150 pickup with with a, a gun rack in the back window a CB antenna and a bumper sticker on the back that said, live better work. I cut a part of it out there, you know, just live better work. And uh, uh, there I was, kind of a redneck living in the middle of the city, and that truck suited me just fine. I loved that truck, and really I loved what it meant to me, what it represented to me. It meant freedom. That's what your first car meant to you, freedom. Because we can now go where we want to go and do what we want to do. And, and uh, life just changes forever when you get a car. But I also discovered that it brought responsibilities my way. Of course, still living at home, I, I had the freedom to go. But I also had the responsibility to return at the time appointed. Mom and dad are saying amen to that, right? And uh, hopefully they'll tell you I did most of the time. But uh, I had a responsibility. I could go where I wanted to go to a degree. But I had to return at the appointed time. I had the freedom to drive on the roads and let them take me wherever they would, but I had a responsibility to follow the laws of the road. I understood that. It was a 391 Interceptor V8 motor with a Holley four-barrel carburetor. I, I learned I was free to drive, but I had a great responsibility, an enormous responsibility. Yea, a colossal responsibility to keep gas in that beast, you know. That was a responsibility. I discovered early on that I could punch the gas on that truck and it would peel out as long as I wanted it to and I wanted it to a long time, you know. But I then had the responsibility to put new tires on that truck when I burned the old ones up. It was a great freedom. I wouldn't have traded it in for anything, but in the midst of that time in life, I was immersed in a life lesson that with freedom often comes responsibility. In Joshua chapter 22. And that really is the essence of the lesson before us. We find that Joshua is speaking in this this general section of Scripture to the various tribes of Israel. And he's sharing with them that God has been good to them. That God had blessed them with a new land. And and they were going to enjoy a freedom. But he's also sharing with them that along with that freedom is coming some responsibility that they need to be aware of. They needed to be responsible for, certainly. And here in this text specifically, chapter 22, and we're going to study in a moment, verse 5. He was speaking to the tribe of Reuben and the tribe tribe of Gad and, and uh, about half the tribe of Manasseh and he was telling them look you've done well you followed the leadership of Moses to this place and you followed my leadership as we've had battle after battle to procure this land as promised by God and he said you're entering into a newfound freedom a new stage of life but he is saying to them there's some responsibilities I want you to be aware of so that you can make the most of the freedom so you don't squander it 
Friends, I want you to know, it never ceases to amaze, amaze me how relevant an ancient text can be. What Joshua shared all these years ago, it, it's a truth that we need at this moment today. And I, I just happen to believe if we work together today, that we can all leave this service having learned a truth that will help us tomorrow. I mean, it affects the way we live. And if we take that heart into it, we'll find that we're going to get out of this service about what we put into it. I often remind our church, you're not the audience for me today. Oh, no, we're on the same team. He's the audience. And I pray that as he looks in today, he'll find me doing my best to share that which he's revealed to me through study and that he'll find all of us working so we can learn and grow. And if you're able today, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing as we read the passage of Scripture. I've given you a little of the background, and we're going to see more of the background in the lesson, but today I'm just going to read one verse. It's a little unusual for our studies, but we're going to take a look at, at one verse in Joshua chapter 22. We're going to look today at verse 5. Joshua said, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. Now, we come about halfway through this verse, not quite, but Joshua's sharing, listen, what you need to do is, as you're preparing to enter into this land, you need to be diligent to follow the commandment that you received from Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, he then begins to share with us what that is. To love the Lord your God and walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments and to cleave unto Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Many of you know we're in the midst of a series right now. We've entitled With All Your Heart. And we're learning how we can live lives for God that, that are from the heart. A, a complete surrender to God. Being yielded to God. And we find this expression here near the end of verse 5. Where the Bible says, serve Him with all your heart. With all your heart. There's a great truth in here for us today. Our Father, we thank you that, uh, that there's a great lesson here for us in your word. We thank you that because of the work of the Spirit, we can have our spiritual eyes illumined and this, this, this uh, truth can become a part of our lives. And we pray that would be the case today. Use this service for your good. I pray that uh, all of us would find something in this study today that will put to work. We love you and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. The nation of Israel knew a lot about freedom. They had had some glorious days and some wonderful victories, but some of the best lessons they learned about freedom came during a time when they had no freedom. Some of the best learning they had about freedom came by way of the contrast they found as they were living in captivity. They were living in bondage. Not too long before the words that we're studying today, the people of Israel were living in bondage in Egypt. They had known some good times there, but the Pharaoh or the ruler of Egypt that knew the people of God and, and even had known of their God, he had passed on and a new Pharaoh emerged, a new leader of Egypt who didn't know God. And, and this was a man that was a, a terrible taskmaster to the people of God, the Jewish people that lived there. In Exodus 1 and verse 10, Pharaoh said this to give you an idea. He said, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. 
Therefore did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. It was a terrible scenario and the pain of, of uh, uh, this situation was overwhelming. The discrimination was intense. And, and we find that the people of, of God, the Israelites in this case, they did in this terrible moment exactly what we would do had we been in that same moment with them. They cried. The pain of it all was overwhelming and they cried. And as they cried, they learned something about God. The Bible in Exodus 3 and verse 7 helps us see what it is they learned. The Bible said, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Pharaoh says, here's what we're going to do to these people. We're going to put taskmasters over them to make life exceedingly difficult. And in response to that, the people cried. And in response to their cries, the Bible says that God was a God that saw their affliction. He heard their cry. He knew what they were going through. And being a gracious God, he couldn't just stand off and observe it all. Being a gracious God, he intervened. He got involved. He's a great God. God called upon a leader to take his people from bondage in Egypt to the land that he had promised them. That leader was a man by the name of Moses. Moses led them out of Egypt through a series of events. He led them through the Red Sea. He led them in the wilderness for about 40 years. Moses was a wonderful leader for the Lord. And and then God brought along another leader who would would help these same people uh, go through the land and fight the battles necessary to to earn that freedom and earn that peace. And and so Joshua was the leader that led them in that way. And and Joshua now is, is coming to them and he's sharing the heart of God with these people. As he does so, he, he lets them know he wants them to enjoy the freedom, but he wants them to make the most of it. And as we get into this text, particularly verse 5, we're, we're going to see some, some principles emerge that can help us and encourage us. The first element of our study today is the fact that Joshua points out their motivation. Their motivation. Look again in verse 5. But take diligent heed to do the commandment of the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God. You see, friends, the motivation for a life that lives for God is a life that has a heart for God, a a heart that that, uh, knows who the Lord is, has a relationship with Him. And I would be the first today to say that that following God is the most productive life and powerful life and preferred life. But those are all just fruits root of a life that pursues God with with, uh, this heart is a life that has a passion for God, a love for God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. John added to that in 1 John 5, 3 by saying, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. In other words, God's commandments, uh, they're not burdensome. They're, They're always in our best interest. Think of that. There's a role for duty to play in our lives. But when we are motivated by love, what happens is our duty becomes a joy. It becomes something we're thankful for. Imagine if someone came up to me and said, Steve, I noticed you got two children and I noticed you haven't spent very much time with them. And so what I want you to do is is set some time aside because it's your duty as a father to spend time with your kids. 
Now, I could know in my mind that in Ephesians 6, 4, the Bible tells fathers to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I could understand that is my duty. And in response to your encouragement, I could go, do I have to? I got to spend time with those little guys? Oh, man, that doesn't sound like any fun at all. But out of duty, out of obligation, I mean, the Bible does say it after all. I guess I'll go ahead and spend some time with them. That attitude would convey to you that I've got a problem. Those children aren't just a burden, they're not just a duty, they're human beings that I love, and and when I do love, I find a motivation to want to do those things that I should do. If I approached my wife and said, honey, I uh, read a a book on being a husband, went to a seminar, and I realized that I I have a duty to do husbandly things for you, so I'm going to take you on a date tonight. And uh, I'll kiss you once in the beginning and once at the end. I'll hug you at one point during the date, a moment of your choosing. And, and I'll try to listen, listen to you as you're just talk, talk, talking all the time. And I'll try to pay attention to you. I have no interest in a date. I don't want to go on a date. Nothing about it sounds appealing to me. But because I have to, it's my duty to do husbandly type of things, we're going to go. Uh, knowing my wife, she'd probably say, you know, you can go on that date all by yourself, you know. Have a good time alone. You'll be with your favorite person with that type of an attitude. Uh, that, that's not going to help me at all. But, but if I said, and I would mean this, if I said, honey, I love you. You're the best wife a guy could ever have. You're my best friend. I wouldn't rather spend time with anybody in the world. I can't wait to share a meal with you. And we're going to talk, talk, talk. And, and, I, and uh, mostly I'm going to listen, listen, listen. And, and I'll say a few things when you let me. Uh, but, but honey, I can't wait to spend some time with you. She'd probably say, we're going to have a good one. Let's go. It's going to be great. You see, the difference of it all is the motivation. When our Christian experience degenerates to trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts and laws, we really become no different than that group that opposed Christ so vehemently, the Pharisees. You say, well, Pastor, are you implying we don't have to follow the biblical teachings? We don't have to do right and so forth? No, not at all. I'm just saying if we want to serve God with all of our heart, it begins with our heart. It begins with a motivation that says, in response to God's love for me and God's deliverance in my life and the wonderful grace of God, how could I help but do anything other than love Him? And when I love Him, I'm going to find there's a motivation to be with Him and spend that time and, and follow His leading. We are seeing in our study, God wants our hearts. He doesn't want heartless robots who try to coerce themselves. Just just working to coerce myself to follow God because it's no fun and I don't really like it. And I, I've just got to try and coerce myself. No, God says, I'll tell you what. Let's have a love relationship. I'll be the prime mover. I'll instigate this. And in response, you can love me in return. And then we'll enjoy spending these times together. We find their motivation. Did you see in the verse where it said, love the Lord your God? Well, as you see that, look at the very next words where the text goes on to say, walk in all his ways. And so as we've seen their motivation, we move on and we see the movement, walk in all his ways. Did you know when God has our heart, we will be heading in the right direction? God has always been more interested in the direction of our lives than the speed of our lives. He wants to know that we're on the right track as he's laid down before us and we're walking in his ways. You see, when our direction is right, we know that the direction comes from him. That's a blessing. This group that was listening to Joshua here in our text, they knew what God's direction was all about. In fact, in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, the Bible says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, 
to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God gave them direction. He directed them with a cloud as a pillar and a fiery pillar. And I want you to know God not only directs us in the best way in which we should go, He directs us in a great way. Not just the direction, but the actual process of giving the guidance. It's wonderful. You see, as they're traveling through the hot desert, they would have preferred follow nothing other than a cloud that would have given them some shade. God in His grace said it's going to get hot during the day. I'll just go ahead and put a cloud out there and that cloud will give them guidance. And it's not only leading them in the best direction, they're being led in the very best possible way. At night in that part of the world, the sun sets and it goes from blazing hot to very cold. And He said, I'll just go ahead and put a furnace right in the midst of them. And that furnace also gave direction, but it gave it to them in the very best way possible where do we get this mindset if we live for God it's going to be a horrible boring miserable life it's the best life you see God's not in the habit today of leading people by way of a cloudy or fiery pillar but he still leads people today you see his leadership is not so much geographic as much as it is a matter of the heart that's why Paul told the believers in Thessalonica and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God He said, God can bring a direction into your hearts and into the patient waiting for Christ. When God has our hearts, it's a piece of cake to guide us when it comes to our steps. We're just about a week away from, well, we are. We're exactly a week away from our 12th anniversary as a church. And uh, as I do typically this time of year, I begin to reflect back on the beginning and think about some things that God has done and how He has given direction. And, And I remember when Lisa and I began to share with some close friends and people we were serving with in ministry that we believed the Lord was putting it on our hearts to come to a place where we knew no one, had no nothing. Just We just thought the Lord wanted us to come. The questions then emerged. And they were questions that oftentimes surrounded an area code or a zip code. And by that, I mean, where exactly will you live? Where exactly will the church meet? And of course, I had no good answer for any of those things. So I would just say we believe the Lord's leading us this way. And we, we really would just inch along by faith. You know, I'd love to say we're some great trailblazers of faith. No, we just we tried to be diligent to take those little steps that God would give to us. But what happened after a period of time, you see, we could look back and understand that although we didn't have the answers to all those questions, God did. But he wasn't so interested in us having a full uh, four-color blown-up image of where it is he was leading us as much as it is that he, he wanted to know that our hearts would be sensitive to take those little steps. Listen, we were not trusting the way of God. We were trusting the God of the way. We weren't saying, God, show me the end result, and if I like it, it looks good to me, I'll follow. We were saying, God, because you've been so good to us, we want to follow you. What a blessing it is in anybody's life when we can come to the point where we'll say, God, I want to follow the direction you put before me. I want to walk in all your ways, following God. Stories told of a young lady who was filling out an application for college. And the question was asked on the application, are you a leader? She was pretty conscientious and wanted to be honest, and she had to answer no, and she thought that sealed her fate. She surely wouldn't be given entrance into that college. This is the letter she got back. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) 
I want you to know that I believe God's desire is that all of us would be used as leaders for Him. And by that, I mean that we would use any influence that God gives us to be a blessing, maybe to the children in our home, in the marriage relationship, to those on the job, and in our church family, in general, in the community. But before we can ever provide any spiritual leadership, it starts with a heart of fellowship. It says, God, I wouldn't have any idea where to go, and that kind of is a prerequisite for leadership. I wouldn't have any idea where to go, God, if it's not for your working in my life. So I yield to you. I come to you. Psalm 1 and verse 6 says, The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see, if we're going to serve God with all our heart, we must begin with the the motivation, love. We must have this follow-through, a faith-filled movement. And, And then I want us to see the third element that Joshua brings to the surface is a matter of the manual. The manual. And by that, I mean this. Joshua goes on to say this. Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. You see, it's in the Bible that we learn who God is and and what he wants of us and and, uh, all about his nature. And his, his commandments for us are found in the Bible. So we need to make sure that we're keeping his commandments. Joshua, who is speaking in this text, also said earlier in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. You see this theme of Joshua telling the people to follow those commands that God gave to them through Moses. It it was something that he was very interested in. He wanted people to know that there was a right way and there was a wrong way. And that we learn of that in the law and we need to keep the commands that we find in the law. And I love the way in in chapter 1 and in verse 7 where he said, don't turn from it from the right hand or the left hand, just stay right on it. If I could bring that expression of right and left into our vernacular, we know there are many today who who have taken kind of a left turn when it comes to their approach on the Word of God. We often use the expression of of left to refer to more of a liberal approach. And, And I say this with no joy in my heart, nor with any particular malice, just in general. We know there are many today who love to take the Bible and with that kind of a mindset, kind of cut away things they don't understand or appreciate. There are those today who'd say, you know, the thought of an eternal lake of fire, that's not very appealing, so let's just not talk about that. There are those who say, you know, telling people that they're born as sinners and that we all sin, that's not a very happy thought. Let's just go ahead and erase that, so to speak. There are those who've looked at the Bible and said, you know, I don't know how these miracles happen, so it must just all be hyperbole. It might just have been they were speaking in word pictures. And, and there are those who've taken the, the, the path of the word and they've gone left with it and they've diminished the essence of what the word of God is. To a lesser degree, there are those who have had a a zeal for all of the Word of God, who've turned right a little bit. And what they do is they get a pretty good principle from the Word of God. They try to bring it into the day in which we're living, and they build a preference from a principle. And and it's kind of loosely attached, but if we're not careful, those things can take a life of their own. And many people who who really want to be zealous for the Word, what happens is they create their own man-made set of beliefs. And they kind of get an attitude that says this, if you don't do it exactly the way I do it, you must be wrong. And they then, of course, appoint themselves as judge, jury, and executioner. And there's nothing of greater delight to some, it seems, than to be condemning of others. The word is important. God makes it clear that we're to live 
by the word. Jesus in Luke 4 said this, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, God's desire is that we would know his word and follow his word completely. We need not get off on the left. We need not get off on the right. We need to stay right on the path that we find in scripture. Now, I'm certainly not here saying today, I just wish everybody in the world could be balanced just like we are. (laughs) That's not the right spirit either. But we ought to have a heart that says, God, if I'm not balanced in one area or another, reveal that to me by your spirit so that I can make a correction to bring me more into accordance with the word of God. If we hear something that doesn't ring quite true, I think it's a very reasonable thing to say, I'm sorry, where in the Bible did you find that? Was it God that said that? That's the heart of someone that wants to see the Bible for what it is, is the word of God and and what it does. It serves as a manual for life. You see, if we respond to the, the various fads and trends that people have, whether it takes them left or whether it takes them right, inevitably what happens is we start to live a life where we do what we do to please those people so that when they look at us, they'll see what we want them to see. And the Bible makes it clear to us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 25, that the fear of man bringeth a snare. That means you're living your life because you're you're afraid of what others will think about you and you're altering your life just to please that person for the sake of their approval. It brings a snare. It brings difficulty. It brings destruction and captivity, literally. But the Bible says, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Friends, listen, we're not to fear man. We're to fear God. We're to fear God and keep his word. We're to be like the Bereans of whom it is said in Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I've shared a few stories recently about a well-known missionary of years gone by, David Livingston. When he arrived in Africa, he had 73 books he brought with him. He thought much of books. The 73 books, it was estimated they weighed collectively about 180 pounds, and they were filling up three duffel bags. Well, he had to walk 300 miles to finish the first leg of his journey. And 180 pounds of books, that's a little unbearable, given the conditions to which he was walking. And so one by one, he began to shed books along the way to lighten the load. It is said that when he arrived at his destination, he only had one book left. And we don't have to really wonder what he thought was the one book he could not live without. It was his Bible, his manual for life. Now, I'm not against books. I've got a few books going all the time. In fact, I like books. Sometimes I could read things electronically, but I just like to get a book. I like books. I like to put them on shelves. I like having a library. I'm all about books. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but but I, I think we need to come to the place where we'll say, you know something? There's only one book that qualifies as the, as the director for my life. There's only one book, and that is the Word of God. Oh, friends, listen, we need to read it and memorize it and love it and live it. You'll be so glad that you did. Joshua continues on in his words here. We see the final thought. And it speaks to the manner. What does Joshua say? In in his closing words, he says this. He says it this way. Cleave unto him 
and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Friends, our manner is to be characterized by a life that cleaves to God. The word cleave is defined here according to Strong's Bible Dictionary as as abiding fast, to follow close, to join together. One author put it this way, and I really appreciated the way he put it. He said it means to be cemented, cemented to God, to cement yourself to God. I like that word picture, and actually that idea, it's, it's even visible as you, as you study that word, the idea of cementing ourselves to God, holding on to God is the idea. Now, if you're here today and you've been saved, you were saved because of faith placed in God. It was all of His grace. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. We don't deserve it. We don't pay for it. It's entirely a gift of God. It's the result of of the grace of God and our faith and that which God has done for us. We are not saved because we hold on to God. Jesus made it very clear that when a person is saved, they're placed in his hand. They're covered by the hand of God. He said, no man's going to pluck them out of my hands. And, and we're grateful for the reality that we can't even pluck ourselves out. The Bible is not saying that we're to hold on to God so that we can maintain a relationship or a standing with him. All of that is done by way of Christ. But the Bible is making the point that it's possible from our perspective to let go of the Lord and to wander. As the songwriter said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And it's in all of us today to have times where we're letting go, so to speak, and we're drifting off into the arena of self and pride and and departing from a closeness in terms of a walk with God. And so Joshua says that we need to cleave unto him. One of the great first century missionaries was a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas was dispatched from the church in Jerusalem to go to an area where some Gentiles had accepted Christ. Christianity was a Jewish thing in the very earliest of moments. And and shortly thereafter, there began to be reports of, of other than Jews being saved. And Barnabas went and checked it out, and he discovered the greatest news that we can imagine, that the gospel's for everybody. Everybody. But I want you to listen to the way the Bible explains this experience in the life of Barnabas when he met these new Christians. In Acts eleven twenty three, the Bible says, Who, when he came, had seen the grace of God and was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You see, Barnabas knew what Joshua knew. That we live in the midst of, of a world and, and we, we live in flesh and we have an opponent in the devil and all of these forces and influence are trying to pull us away from that closeness with God. And the Bible is urging us to hold on to him. It all speaks of a faithful persistence to God and, and His purpose for our lives. The freedom that I found in my first truck as a 16-year-old kid would have only been pretty fulfilling had I not come to understand that there were some responsibilities that would enhance it. I'd have burned the motor up. I'd have got too many points on my record and got my license revoked. The, the freedom would, would not have been enjoyed the way it could have been had I not put into it some things that helped me to make the most of it. Now, that's just an analogy. But I think in a similar way, as we see the freedom that we have in Christ, we need to understand that that doesn't mean that we're free to do nothing. Or worse yet, we get a bad attitude and say, I'm free to do whatever it is I want to do, even if it's the wrong thing. The very best way to understand freedom that comes through faith in Christ is to say, I've been freed to do the best things. 
before Christ, we had no ability to know God or walk with God or follow in his ways. We didn't know what it was to have a love relationship with the God of the universe. And by way of the freedom that comes through relationship with Jesus Christ, we can say, now I've been liberated. I've been set free from the bondage of this life, from the bondage that comes along with being alive in this earth suit. I've now been liberated by Jesus Christ. And because of that, by his grace, I want to choose the best things that God has for me. We're not going to reach a point of sinlessness in this life. We, we know that, but we, we can sure know what it is to see growth in this life. And say, God, I don't just want to serve you. I want to serve you with all my heart. God, I sincerely want this matter of my life with you and for you to be a passionate matter of the heart. Because of your love for me, I love you. You've got my heart, and along with my heart will come my service. Our Father, thank you today for this opportunity to study and learn. And, and I pray that you'd help us to take this Old Testament occasion and, and let it serve as, as a, a teaching time for us. I think of the Apostle Paul in Romans sharing that, that the Old Testament was given for our learning, and we do pray that we would learn from this today. God, help us to all be honest with the truth. Help us to let this message evaluate us, not just us evaluate the message. Help us, we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and we'll be on our way shortly. I sometimes say the, the preaching and teaching time is where we can hear from God. If we're studying his word, certainly that's the case. And this time of our service that we call the invitation is time where God can hear from us. I, I wonder today, was there something in that message that would help you in your life? Was there a point? Was there a truth? Was there a principle? Was there something in our study today that you would say, you know, Pastor, if I would pick that truth up and apply it or reapply it to my life, I think I'd... I'd be growing a little bit more towards this matter of living for the Lord with all of my heart. All of it. In the privacy of this time, are there those who'd be willing to just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, there was something in there for me today. There was something in there I got through that time of learning. Are there those today? Numbers of hands. Many, many, many hands. Thanks a lot. I'm so grateful that the Spirit was able to allow the Word of God to make its way into your heart. Now, maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, you talk a lot about serving God and having a heart for God and all of this. And, and maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I'm just not 100% sure that I know exactly what you're talking about when you, you talk about having a relationship with God, knowing God. And, and let me ask it this way. Do you know for sure if you were to die today that you'd spend eternity in heaven with Him? And just as I ask that, I'm sure there are some that, Deep in your heart, you thought, nope, I hope so, maybe, perhaps, but something less than 100% certainty. And friends, I want you to know that God wrote this great book of the Bible so that we could know him. Jesus tells us he's the way. Now, I would never point anybody out or embarrass anybody, but maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, that's, that's me today. I'm just not sure really where I stand in all of this, and I don't mind the thought at all. Of you praying for me. Don't point me out publicly, but I don't mind you at all praying for me. Are there those today who say, Pastor, I'm not sure, but that's kind of what I was thinking about today. Are there those, Pastor, pray with me.
Thank you. Thank you. Are there others? You say, Pastor, really, that's, that's something that'd be good for me to get a hold of, to become sure of. Pray for me. Maybe there are other spiritual decisions. You've been saved, but not yet scripturally baptized, or perhaps the Lord's prompting you to unite with the Coastline family by way of membership. This morning already, we've seen people baptized and people added to the church, and maybe that's something the Lord's putting on your heart. We come to the time in our service we call an invitation time. It's a time for really decisions to be made, for us to think about what we've studied and how the Lord would have us to respond. In the front, we'll have some men and ladies with their copy of the Bible, and if you want to pray with someone, they'll be available. The front of the, the church is often called an altar, and it's a, it's a place of prayer. Maybe you just want to come and spend a moment in prayer. If you'd like to do that, it's available to you. If you have a question, we've got men and ladies, they'd, they'd love to help you share with you what the Bible has to say. Their opinion is no more helpful than anyone else's, but if they can share a verse from God's Word, it'd be a great help to you. What would God have us to do with what we studied together today? Would you be so kind as to join me in standing, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And Brother Steve's going to come and lead us in a song called Where He Leads Me. If you know the words, sing along with him if you'd like. But as the singing begins, if there's a decision that needs to be made in your life for the Lord, we'd invite you to come. As the singing begins, you come.